Welcome to Reading the Game, the podcast where baseball fans discuss the baseball books they love. I'm your host, Steve Klein, and I'm delighted to be joined um, today by Ash Day and, of course, by Phil Stone. We're going to be talking about, and I'll give them a chance to say hello in a minute, don't worry. We're going to be talking today about um, a very, very famous baseball book. And I think one of the reasons it's so famous as a baseball book is because it's perhaps the most, it's adapted into perhaps the most famous baseball film of all time. It's Shoeless Joe by W.P. W. Kinsella, which was, of course, adapted into 1989's Field of Dreams. So I'm going to say, hi, Ash. How's everything going? Hi, Steve. I'm good. Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Just we were saying offline, incredibly sticky and sweaty and hot. And um, yes. I'm also on, on, um, on baby duty tonight. My wife's gone out, so I've got the baby monitor near me. So I might at any moment have to dash off and you'll have to excuse any, any rumblings or noises that you hear from the, from the baby monitor. And also as a, another, little, another little thing is that I've got all of the windows open. I don't normally have windows open when I'm recording, but um, it's so ridiculously hot and humid that I thought I have to have the windows open. So if the sound quality is slightly off tonight, I apologize. Um, hi, Phil. How's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm melting. <laughs> I might rush off if I hear the ice cream van. Um, but yeah, just carry on without me. Fair enough. We'll just we'll just hit pause. Or yeah, indeed, carry on without you, and you can get me a a mint feast or a mint festival, okay. as they're called. Some parts some parts of the country is called a mint festival. Um, I think Oops. some of our international um, listeners will be wondering what on earth we're talking about. But anyway, let's get cracking. Um, is it okay, Ash, if you start us off with a um, classic kind of? Uh, how did you first come to the book? What were your first impressions? And perhaps a little bit about how, you know, it, what, what your thoughts are on the book, whether you like it or not. Yeah, sure. Uh, so like most people, I think most people find the book these days through the film. Um, I, of course, watched Field of Dreams first. Um, I was lucky enough to be working in a bookshop when I discovered that it was a novel. And actually, it's one of the few baseball novels I find is printed in the UK. Um, so it was very easy to get a hold of. Um, it was a very simple process of picking it up. Um, and my first impressions when I first read it, I read it about five years ago, and I really enjoyed it. I did, I did like it. I thought I've always been a fan of the film, so the film obviously I was familiar with the story. But I felt like reading the book, you got that kind of as as you do with the source material of most things, you get that deeper look into the characters. There's a bit more backstory. There's a bit more fleshing out of stuff. You know, they're not limited to two hours like a movie. Um, so overall, I did uh, I did really enjoy it. Okay, cool. How about you, Phil? So I first, yeah, again, I first heard of the book via the film. Um, but I didn't get a copy of the book maybe until about five years ago, five, six years ago, um, when my then girlfriend at the time came home with a copy from work because she worked at HarperCollins and one of their imprints, uh, the Friday Project, had re-released it. And it sat on my shelves unread until a couple of months ago. And I'm not sure why I avoided reading it. I think perhaps because I loved the film so much, I was scared <laughs> that it would tarnish my love of the, the big screen version. Um, and the good news is that it hasn't tarnished my love of the film. But the bad news is I, um, I didn't love this one. <laughs> um, this podcast is, uh, is about baseball books we know and love. But uh, yeah, I've got to be honest with you, I, I, must, I, I didn't love it. Uh, it has a four-star rating on 
um, on Goodreads from about 13,000 odd reviews. So I know I'm in the minority here, but it just didn't do much for me. There are some interesting scenes in it uh, and there are a couple of interesting characters. Um, but perhaps given my love of the film, my expectations were too high, but uh, generally I was a little bit disappointed. And it, for me, it promised so much, like it jumped straight into the story. If, you, if you've seen the film, the infamous line of, if you build it, he will come, appears on page one. Um, but ahead of, ahead of this podcast, I was doing a little bit of research on the book and discovered that the first chapter was originally a standalone 20 page short story, which was called oh. Judas Joe Comes to Iowa that Kinsella wrote while he was at a writer's workshop in the late 70s. And then to quote uh, the author himself on uh, ESPN, he gave an interview to ESPN. The story was published in an anthology and a young editor at the publishing house, Houghton Mifflin in Boston, uh, read not the story, but a review of the anthology and Publishers Weekly. And on the strength of that, he wrote to me at Desolate U in Alberta, where I was teaching Bonehead English, to suggest that if the story was part of a novel, he wanted to see it. And if it wasn't, it should be. And... I think for me, that's where the problem with the book lies, that I think the opening chapter is fantastic and it makes a great short story. And I think that's sort of where I would like to have left the book. Um, the chapter ends, and listeners will remember this line from the film, with Shooter's Joe asking Ray Kinsella, is this heaven? And Ray responding, no, this is Iowa. And for me, that was like a perfect short story, but then it carried on. And I must admit, the rest of the book didn't really do much for me. I'm, I'm in a way I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I've had a really I've had a really difficult relationship with this book and um, firstly I always felt incredibly I don't know if guilty is the right word but I, I always felt like I should have read it much sooner than I did and um, to truth be told I literally finished this book yesterday after 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 first starting to read it about six weeks ago and I normally it's not a very long book at all I think it's about 260 270 pages and um, fiction I usually I usually go through quite quickly and I've even been on holiday I was I spent I had two weeks holidaying in the south of France with my family but I just um I think part of the problem is I I didn't have as much time to read as I anticipated because I was doing it with a with a seven-month-old baby and um uh, yeah any any downtime I had was kind of not downtime if you see what I mean um but yeah I kind of I read it in little fits and starts and I read the first chapter or a couple of chapters and I was quite enamored with it I think like you said Phil uh, it starts off really really strongly and I thought this is fantastic and also it's weird you have a, I had a, a weird relationship with the text because I was aware of the film and I've obviously seen loads of scenes from the film and I think I've even seen the film um, quite close to when it came out probably in the early 90s when I was about 10 or 12 or 13 something like that um, but so a lot of my imaginings, a lot, a lot of my, um, a lot of my imagination, um, when you sort of visualise the the characters and everything, were were you know Kevin Costner and um, so yeah, absolutely yeah. So so it was really weird. I had this I had this very re weird relationship with the book, um, being aware of the, it, it, it as a film, but then trying to you know read it as a, as a, as a book. And for some reason, after those first couple of chapters, I just didn't connect with it very well. And it's not a complicated story. Um, I think we'll come on to this a little bit about its about its about its style, but it's it's certainly one that I think would have benefited from me just sitting down and and going through it in a couple of sittings or even in one sitting, um, because I did I have to be honest I lost the narrative thread quite a lot when I was reading it and 
was coming back to it and it's not the ideal way to, 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 to read a book, obviously, but so perhaps I didn't do it justice, but you just saying there that you didn't enjoy it and that you struggled to, struggled to connect with it in a way, it really mirrors my, um, my feelings about the book. And that's not to say that I didn't, I don't know, I suppose I did just say I didn't enjoy it. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, and I said this off air to you guys, that since having finished it and since watching the film as well, and then also starting to process all of my thoughts to talk about the book, I realized that it did affect me. And I, and I, and I, I do, I don't, I don't think it was terrible. It's just that I didn't, I didn't enjoy reading it. If you know what I mean, if that makes sense. Um, but perhaps stuff will come out as we carry on talking about it. I don't know if, if you want to come back on that, Ash, it's not like us versus you because you liked it and we didn't love it. But if <laughs> you have you got anything else you wanted to add about it before we, before we move on a little bit and start talking about its themes and it's, um, it's you know, it's sort of structural elements and stuff like that. I think I know what you mean. I, I can see how you both, when you both said what you said about why you didn't like it, I was going to say I, my first impression when I first read it years ago, it was over the, my overall feeling was, Oh yeah, I did enjoy that. And I think it was because I hadn't seen the film in a number of years. So it was like coming back to an old friend in a way. And and of course, cause it's more, it's the original source story. And there's obviously big differences. There's some characters in the book that aren't featured in the film. Um, having said that, since I've reread the book for the for this podcast, it hasn't made quite the same impression on me this time as it did the first time. I still enjoy it overall, but I definitely now, having read it through it twice, I could pick out the flaws more. Um, I think my biggest... It's, it's so hard when you compare books and films. I really try not to do it, but it's almost impossible with something like this. But I, I look at it and I'm like, okay, the film producers and directors and writers they chose to do this why did they do this and then I'm like actually you know what that works without getting into spoilers there are characters that are omitted from the book and I think it's a it was a good decision to leave them out in the movie like there were there are at least two or three characters that are in the book that weren't featured in the film and I'm 100% like yeah that was the right decision I don't know where we go with spoilers with this because uh, I was wondering about this. I always feel like this with, when, we, when we're talking about works of fiction. I just, I kind of think with Field of Dreams that it's so, it's so well known that I think it's okay Pretty for us familiar. to. Yeah, yeah. And also it's been out <laughs> for such a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone can be like, oh, I was about to read that book and you spoil it for me. I think <laughs> kind of everyone knows what it's going to be about. So, because yeah, so. if we come on to talk about the, perhaps about the main differences um, between the film and the book, like, you, like it's like you say, I think you're talking about the omission of um, of Ray's brother and, uh, Ray's and brother Gypsy. The, yeah, because uh, this is this is what struck me, especially watching the film, was that there were whole parts, the whole parts of the book where I just thought, did that need to, did the, 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 the lots of parts that weren't included in the film, and you just, I don't think I've ever seen a film where I agreed that much with the editing and that mm. much with the adaptation mm. in terms of leaving stuff out. Yeah. You just think, well, there was no point to that whole section of the film i really don't see what um ray's twin added at all and and that little sojourn down down to the um down to the fun fair um yes, and the whole gypsy it. character because this this is for me kind of getting to what what i really struggled with and, and i i appreciate i've already said you know as a disclaimer that i i didn't read i read the book over a really long period of time and i, I was really dipping in and out of it and so if, if i was if i lost threads it's probably my fault rather than the writing 
there's whole parts of it. You just think, well, why did that happen? And I don't know. I want to talk about the magical realism a little bit. Um, well, probably quite a lot, but it's not for me. It wasn't just the magical elements in the book. It was the, the time travel elements, the, the different periods that I really, really struggled with. Um, this idea that there are characters, for want of a better word, we could call them ghosts coming back from the past into the present. But what I really struggled with was then Ray going to different periods to talk with these people and just sort of popping out and doing stuff. And, and before you realize it, you think, Oh, where are we now? We're in like now we're in the, now we're in the early seventies and now we're in the, now we're in the, 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 the twenties or whatever. And now we're back in the present day. And, and even because partly because the, the book was written in the eighties as well. So it's already, it's already um, deeply rooted in a period of time, which is quite now, quite a long time ago. Um, so yeah, I, I really struggled with that. Um, I do want to come back. I want to talk about them because I read something that I thought was quite apt. And somebody basically said that if you can believe the story's magical elements, you're going to enjoy the book. And if you cannot, then you're not going to enjoy the book. And is that overly too, is that overly simplistic? Do you think, or what do you think about the book's magical realist elements? Um, do you want to go on? You start us off, Ash. I wouldn't, I, I would kind of say, I wouldn't say it's overly simplistic, but I think that is pretty spot on. I think if you can get on board with the magical stuff, uh, then I think it is going to make the the journey and the story more enjoyable. I think if straight away this is not gelling with you, then I don't, I feel like it's quite a big part of the book. So it is going to be a stumbling block. I did think, I, this is the, tr the tricky thing. I think because I've seen the film and I'm so familiar with the film, when you're picturing those scenes in your head, the magical realism moments like the time travel, it seems quite seamless. It seems like Kinsella has done it quite seamless. I almost feel like maybe that's because I've seen the film and in the film, they do it very well. They, they handle those scenes quite good. And you can see clearly like, oh, he's not quite where he was before. In the book, maybe I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. It feels seamless, but that might just be because I've been affected by, by the film. I, another, uh, another baseball novel I've read, Summerland by Michael Chabon. That's very heavy on like magic and fantasy. So maybe reading this in comparison, this is like way more subtle. But yeah, I, I would agree with what you said at first. Like if you can't get on board with the magic stuff, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal breaker, I think. I mean, it's, how would you describe it, Phil? Is this a, is this a fairy tale? Um, I guess so, yeah. I think ma magical realism is apt. I think it, it's one like it's 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 I suppose it's a literary novel, and I think it has won a didn't it win a Canadian First Novel Award or something. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, I found I found there was a lot to dislike about it, other than the magical <laughs> realism. Um, like you two have said, I, I completely agree with you about the superfluous characters, like Richard Kinsella, Ray's twin, who enrolls at circus and gets married. And I'm like, what? I, and walks out in his family for no reason, and we don't really understand why. And then it comes back and. Can see the can't see the players, but then can see the players. I'm like, what? What is this guy doing here? And Eddie Sisson's the oldest living cub, who exaggerates his playing career. And yeah, I just was, didn't get was, that at all. I just I, this no. is I'm embarrassed to say perhaps, but I didn't understand what was going on with that at all. Was he? Did he exist in the, the past or in the present or both? And and was he, for want of a better word, real in the in the present? Was he somebody who lived in the community and? Um, 
because I, I I couldn't work out when I couldn't work out when they were when he was existing in the past and when he was existing in the present because there's towards the end as well you've got all of the characters pretty much all together at the house at the farmhouse in yeah. Iowa and they're all there together and but what I really struggled with then was which was which was um, Eddie which was Sissons in which one which version of him was there then. Um, am I have I gone mad? Is, is, is <laughs> if I missed? If, I mean, because I really feel like I missed that. And um, and again, because it's not in the film at all, it's not like something I could have had verified for me in the film. I was kind of expecting to think, oh, I'll see it in the film and it'll all make sense, but um, it wasn't in the film. But sorry, no, guys, I, str- I, str- I struggled. I struggled to make sense of what I was supposed to be getting from the character of Eddie Sisson, somebody who like exaggerated their playing career and m- maybe had lived in the community off of uh, stories that never actually happened and whether that was supposed to connect to the time travel elements and the magical realist elements of the book. Um, but then I just tied myself in knots and I was like, maybe I just, maybe there is nothing to get. Maybe I'm actually overthinking this. There's a real, there's a real playfulness to the writing, which I think is something that I perhaps missed. And I think that f- from reading what other people have um, written um, in response to the book, People talk about this this playful playfulness and this kind of um, this kind of blurring of, of fact and fiction. And for me, I just again it, perhaps that I did, you know completely failed to, to engage with it, and that, and I'm perfectly willing to accept that that was me um, rather than the writing. But I couldn't. I, the playfulness it annoyed me in 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 a way. You know, I, I didn't. I wasn't on the side of the author. I wasn't, I wasn't part of the joke and I didn't really feel like, I didn't really feel like I could um, get very much from that. Um, how do, how did you guys feel about that? I'm trying to think of an example of the, of the, of the playfulness, but um, I, I think, think I'm glad I, I'm glad I watched the film before reading the book weirdly in that the film helped me to frame what I was reading in terms of, Oh, he's traveling in the past. Okay. He's picking up moonlight Graham that, in a weird way, normally it's always, well, I'd much prefer to read the book before I go and see the film, but actually seeing the film first, I think, sort of helped me come to terms with the, with the novel that perhaps I would have been even more confused if I'd, if I'd you know, come to it completely clean. Yeah, I, I agree with Phil. Like, that, I think having that, having that framework of the movie maybe makes the book more accessible and more enjoyable. I think if I'd gone in headfirst with the book first and having not no knowledge of the film i think i would struggle more especially with the magical realism stuff it maybe would just come across as like what the hell's going on now where is he only because of the film do i know that like oh yeah this is the bit where he travels back in time you know what what <laughs> struck me and this um because i'm going to talk about other um books and authors and stuff that spring to mind when when you're reading a book but I couldn't help but feel like when I was reading this, and this is this is going to sound like a massive cuss to the to the right to the quality of the writing, but I genuinely felt you know when you're reading a book that's been translated from another language, and there are there are, you know aspects of the translation that are a little bit iffy. That's kind of what it felt like reading this book to me because it felt like it had been perhaps written in Spanish or in Japanese, and the, and the translation because both those. No, there's rich culture of um, magical realism um, in both those languages. And it kind of, it was like I was reading Marquez or something and it just been really badly translated. Um, I felt that when I was reading because Kinsella, the writer Kinsella, not the character in the book, but the, he loves a metaphor. Um, 
and sometimes they work. So there was a, a line where he said he waved his hand vaguely behind him where Bluestein looked like a funeral director at a christening, which I really enjoyed. And then sometimes they don't. <laughs> like when he said, I eat the crackers and drink the Dr. Pepper in front of a TV as full of moving shadows as a prisoner's past. And I really had to think about it. And I was like, it just didn't, didn't really make the, the, the novel flow. But, but he uses metaphors a lot. And, you know, P.G. Woodhouse would have been proud. But sometimes they really work. And sometimes I, they just make me stumble over the, the flow of the novel. That, that said, though, some of the descriptive writing was very rich. And, and I did enjoy mm. I, I really enjoyed the... Um, and it it's kind of adds to what you're saying about the, 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 the joke about is this heaven and this is Iowa. But his description of um, of that of that of that place, um, you really you really got a sense of of how valuable it was to Ray Kinsella and to his family, and yeah. I, I thought that was really really well um, written, and I thought the description there was very very um, good. So I, I mean, there's yeah, um, I'm not. It's not all bad, not for me anyway. I wasn't. I wasn't how much of the dialogue in the book they had lifted for the film almost directly like um salinger's speech at the end which is then in the movie by james Earl jones the famous uh, the famous one which is completely escaping me at the moment it's the uh oh what is it grace's baseball is the one con once the one constant yeah. And, yeah the one constant through all the years ray has been baseball yeah like that all of that, so much of that dialogue was restricted in the book, which I found impressive. I found that was good. That, but that kind of brings us a little bit on. I'll maybe come back to the film adaptation a little bit later because I was I wanted to just kind of come back and see if with, I've already mentioned bad, bad, uh, bad Japanese and Spanish translations. But for me, um, I really had, and this is a bit weird actually because there's a bit of there's a bit of a connection between these. But straight off the bat from beginning to read it i was really um reminded me of um kafka on the shore by um by haruka murakami because yeah, um because there's so many similar elements there you know he's got the the road trip aspect of it there's the metaphysical elements and then there's this blurring of fact and fiction and that kind of i don't know if you're both familiar with um kafka on the shore yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah. Um, you know the um the the colonel colonel sanders character in that i just mm -hmm. felt like i was i was half expecting colonel sanders just to pop up in this book um <laughs> at any moment and i just thought there was really there was a, a really nice connection there that i couldn't get out of my head and then um i just felt that the whole thing was quite kafka-esque you know there's obviously this use of absurdity to punctuate which was quite what was quite a difficult situation for Ray. Um, he was in the throes of financial hardship and I appreciate that that was exacerbated by his own destruction of his quite a significant portion of his crop. Um, but you know, he's in this kind of farming crisis in the 1980s, um, when there was a significant devaluation of crops, you know, due to a number of reasons, but primarily it seems due to the uh, grain embargo that the U S put on the Soviet, um, union and he kind of finds solace. He's he, almost like he's de depressed in a weird way. He's, there's a sort of there's a sort of mania to his um, to his obsession with baseball, which kind of yeah. makes me think that he might have been struggling a little bit of depression. 
Um, but he seems to find solace in this kind of mystical, magical, mythical um, event that happens in the story. So I, I kind of, yeah, um, for want of a better word, I think it was quite Kafkaesque. What, what, were, your, what were your thoughts? What, what sort of sprung to mind when you were reading the book? Um, do you want to go first, Phil, just because it will shake things up a little bit? Uh, I, I, I wrote down Murakami as well. Um, I've read quite a few of his novels. Um, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, and there's an interesting moment between in the book between Ray and J.D. Salinger where they discuss the relationship between writers and their works, which seems, again, seems to be a theme. I can't quite work out what uh, W.P. Kinsella was trying to say, but Salinger talks about how he's nothing like his most famous character in Holden Caulfield from The Catcher in the Rye. Um, but the main protagonist of Shula's show shares the name of the writer in Kinsella, which, yeah, did, did make me consider whether certain elements of Shula's show were semi-autobiographical. And definitely the kind of that metafictional device itself in, in, in the books reminded me of some of Paul Auster's stuff. Um, but yeah, so it was mainly Paul Auster and, and, and Murakami that, that the, the writing style or the devices used maybe maybe think of how about you ash i think because because the book focuses so much on jd salinger that's all i could get my head around was like the fact i still much to my shame have not read catcher in the rye i still every time i think of field of dreams i think of the book and then i think oh yeah it's jd salinger not terence mann and then i'm like you know what i still haven't bought and read that book and that is it's a bit of a, a thing i shouldn't talk about too much i should really read that book <laughs> yeah i mean yeah you definitely get around to it at some point i mean this is the the um i love that book i have to say which is why i thought it uh, which is why i thought it was so odd that um jd salinger was used um in this like why do you think why do you think kinsella wanted to include jd salinger why did he choose jd salinger because it seemed to me to not be a particular a particularly close fit i mean i know from reading a little bit about this that jd salinger himself was outraged at his inclusion in the book and threatened legal action um were he to be included in any further adaptations of the book um but why do you think well there's, a, there's quite a lot quite a lot of questioning here why do you think he was involved why do you think he was chosen um to be characterized in the book by kinsella was he right to be annoyed by it? And what do you think <laughs> of the characterization, characterization of J.D. Salinger? Go, we'll start with you, Ash. I think it, it's definitely an interesting choice choosing. I mean, he obviously chooses real baseball players in the novel, but, but J.D. Salinger is a, a, is a weird choice. Like, and maybe Kinsella must have been a fan. I assume he's a big, uh, big Salinger fan. And wanted to put him in in his novel, but he could have made up a, a fictional famous writer like the. I sorry to cut me back to the movie, but the movie does it perfectly. Um, I kind of get why he would have been angry with his portrayal in it. No one wants to be called like a reclusive hermit. It's not a very flattering look. But having said that, I like the the journey the character of Salinger takes in the book. I do quite like. Um, I think by the end of the book, he's kind of been redeemed and I, I almost find him quite likable by the end. Um, 
yeah, it is a really interesting choice why he had to pick, of all people, Salinger. But I, in, as the novel progresses, I like him more and more. By the end, I, I, I liked what he was doing. Was was Salinger, was Salinger, is he well known, particularly well known for having an interest in baseball? I and mean, this, this is what surprised me. This is why I was, you know, yeah. I didn't realise. I do wonder. I, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know if... I'm just trying to think of other writers from this, from a similar era who were definitely, you know, he definitely could have come to having, um, who's the guy, Phil, I can't remember. Uh, is it Ring Lardner who, who uh, stopped writing about baseball um, after yeah. almost pretty much after this scandal. Um, yeah. The Black Sox scandal kind of. Yeah. So it, it almost kind of ended his, his, um, his, his passion for writing about baseball. Um, yeah. That that to me, like that, would have been a perfect person to choose, um, yeah. because they, they, there's you've got that entanglement with the whole scandal itself, and then that sense of redemption and everything. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily want to spend ages thinking about who else he could have been, who else he could have chosen. Mm-hmm. But I just think in the film, it's a fictional writer, and it's also someone. It's also someone for whom there seems to be a, 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 a obviously a fictional link, but this link with the story and, and, and this, this, the, the, this, this sense of having an, an itch that needed to be scratched, you know, by, by, by the magic and the magical events of the story. I don't know. What do you think, Phil, about the characterization of Salinger? And was he right to be annoyed by it? What, how would you have felt if you were, if you'd have, if, if you'd have turned up in a book? Uh, he was, uh, for me, he was the best character in the book. Um, but yeah, not maybe not a particularly likable one, but uh, he was he was certainly like the richest. And I think a shout out to James L. Jones because he absolutely nails the character that he plays in Terence Mann in, in The Field of Dreams. Like he, he he is exactly as he appears in the book. It's such a superb yeah. portrayal. Um But yeah, I I, I I why why did he choose Salinger? I I I'm not sure. I haven't. I must admit, I haven't been doing research in the prep for this book. I didn't really read much about what uh, that aspect of it. But I was wondering whether it was just as simple as that 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 connection to the surname of Kinsella, in I think it's the Catcher in the Rye, whether it was something as simple as that, or whether he just wanted to choose a reclusive author, in which case he was tossing up between Pinchon and <laughs> and J.D. Salinger, just because he thought, well, I can get away with anything because people know so little about these characters, and maybe he wanted them to be a wanted a reclusive character for some sort of story arc but um yeah not sure on that one i think it's brilliant in the um i mean i only know this from the wikipedia entry but um it says that um where can i see it It said uh, in the novel shoeless joe ray kinsella seeks out salinger although in the film this character is renamed terence mann and was changed to a black man by the casting of james l jones as the movie producers were worried over being sued by salinger you know, obviously, so outraged by he was he by by his inclusion in in the, in the book. It says the producers believed that it was not significant to jettison Salinger, as they figured only fifteen percent of the potential audience would have known who the author was. And I think that's that's quite funny. So let's go back to the let's get back to the actual film adaptation then, because like we all mentioned in our preambles, that we all were aware of the film way before we were aware of the book, and um, I think the film is much more famous than the book. Um, 
do you prefer the film adaptation or the book and why? And um, we've already touched on some of the key differences, but is there anything else that you think you wanted to add about what the key differences are between the film and the book? Um, do you want to go first, Ash? Yeah, it's as a, as a person who really loves books, it's not very often I say I enjoy the film more, but this is one of those cases where I do enjoy the film more than the book. I think, uh, I mean, we've talked already about how the book has extra characters that feel unnecessary. The film makes the right decision, cutting them out to streamline the story and make the focus more on Ray and his journey. Um, I do think the endings are interesting, like how they're different in the book and the film. The film takes the ending very, very much on the father-son relationship. In fact, the whole movie focuses a lot on the father-son relationship between Ray and his dad. Whereas the book, oh, it does mention dad and son, and you know he's constantly talking about seeing the catcher, who is who is his dad. But it's interesting that the book finishes on Salinger, not Ray. It, it's a Salinger going out to the the hole in the outfield wall with the with Shoeless Joe and the guys, and it's it's less impactful than the movie. Like that that's one of the big differences. I I feel the movie far beats out the book is is the ending the focus of the characters do you do you agree phil yeah i, I haven't thought about that actually that's i think that's a really good point the, the, yeah the father-son relationship is much more integral to the film and and yeah all, always makes me cry <laughs> whenever i get to that bit where he says dad and <laughs> turns around and the sun is setting and yeah yeah i, I completely agree um yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious that I much I much prefer the um again for the reasons that we've the, the reasons that I've talked about that we've all talked about, the cut, cutting out superfluous characters and um the character of Annie in the film I think is much richer. Um I think Amy yeah. Madigan does a really good job of playing Annie in the film because she, to be honest, she's got she hasn't really got a lot to go on from the character of Annie in the book. Um the character of Annie in the book I think is quite thin and it and it seems that her main role in the book is just to say yes to Ray a lot without once questioning the stupidity of his ideas. Um, so yeah, I think a- a- Amy Madigan deserves a-, a shout out as well as as, as James L. Jones. They um, add that scene yeah. to the film, don't they, with uh, Annie in the in the school hall where they talk about burning the yeah. books. That's not in the book at all, but that fleshes out her character so well in the oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. See what how fiery she is. Mm. I like that she's um she's 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 fantastic she's um we didn't really haven't really done this yet we were talking about we we're going to talk about which characters you connected with the most but um i really liked annie i thought she was in the in the book she was incredibly supportive but i think like phil said slightly one-dimensional whereas in the film there's that she exudes this warmth and fiery passion and um and her support of her husband is is, is kind of it's not just kookiness. It's, um, you know, she understands that this is something that he needs to do. And, and I think that's really well communicated in the film. I think, I think it works really well. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, the film, um, I hadn't seen it for such a long time. And, um, uh, and I remembered parts of it and, 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 and didn't remember other parts. And I watched it with my wife last night and uh, she thought it was bonkers. She thought it was really, really strange. But um, I, I couldn't help but de- detach the, the the book and the film in my mind I was kind of constantly thinking um 
about the book whilst I was watching the film. I wonder if I'd never read the book and I just saw the film or like we, we were saying like, off air, if you, if you weren't a fan of baseball and you watched the film, what you might get out of it. Cause you, you mentioned about your, your mum, didn't you Ash? Yeah. It, it's, it, I think that's it. The popularity of the movie and how it's still like there's a list of like best baseball films ever field of dreams is always up there I, there's a few a lot of people who, who count it out now they're like no field of dreams is rubbish but it's still most people will put it in like their top three baseball films ever but i think it it does have this appeal to people from all over the place you don't have to be a baseball fan and as we were saying off air like my mum loves it she'll watch it when it's like on channel four or anything jump in halfway through i think it's so rewatchable um it, yeah it's just one of those movies that's caught on and also that the um if you build it he will come which is often sort of um um tangled into if you build it they will come but that that transcends the book the film even the sport of baseball that's just kind of part of not just american popular culture but sort of you know, so so well known by so many people who probably don't know anything about the film. Um, it's weird. Why why do you think then that the story um, has been so successful? I think perhaps is is there anything that is there anything that we can learn um, about America's relationship with baseball in the past? I appreciate actually that you just said, and we both just said actually that it perhaps transcends the sport of baseball. But what does the story's success? Um, tell us about America's relationship with baseball in the past. I think, I think it's uh, the time it was written in and the time the film was produced, it kind of bookends the eighties. Like the book was written in 82 and the film came out in 89 and it's like still in the eighties. Like baseball is like still very much America's pastime. Like it's, it's still very much, their their main sport of course nfl and, and basketball is coming along with michael jordan towards the end of the 80s but baseball is still pretty much king and i think it, it captures that like it captures that appeal of baseball that lasted all of the 20th century like it's not until the the 94 strike and then the steroid era and the fallout from that, that people really start to sour on baseball in the eighties, like when the book was written and when the film came out, it's still so popular. So I think it, it kind of caught lightning in a bottle in that respect that it just, it, it kind of, uh, it just, it just rode the wave of the popularity that is baseball at that time. And then of course you've got Kevin Costner at his absolute peak and, and it just was a hit. And then the book, Kind of, you know, people find the film and they're like, "Oh, it's a book." And I imagine Kinsella's made a lot of royalties off the movie. I would hope so. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, do you think it? Do you think it's more about? Do you think it? There's anything about about nostalgia as well, and um, this this sense of harking back to something, Phil? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's. It it's a big old like American dream. You know, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve anything nostalgic, great, big, warm, lovable hug as well. It, it, it sort of taps into um, American society beyond baseball. And sometimes it can be a little bit sickly. Um, the, the, the big speech, you know, that, that uh, Terrence Mann gives in the film or that Eddie Sissons gives uh, about baseball with, 
you know, it's almost religious and it, and it, you know, some people can might find it a little bit over over sentimental, but um, yeah, I, think, I definitely think it's, it's a not, it's, it's almost like the great American novel. It's aspirational. It's uh, yeah. Positive and uplifting generally, I think. Do you think it could be interpreted as, um, is denigrating the present in any way, you know, cause like, there's nothing wrong. I'm, I'm not expressing an opinion here. It's, you know, I'm just, I'm just laying, oh, laying back, go for it. But, um, is there, is there, you know, cause there's nothing wrong with appreciating things in the past, but that often can take the form of being a bit critical of the present. Um, and there's reference in the book I noticed to, um, players being paid too much and not loving the game enough. And there's a quote, isn't there where, where Shulis Joe says he'd love, he, he, um, he said he'd love, he would love the game so much. He would play the game for food money. And then even later he says he'd, he'd play the game for free. And I think there's something quite loaded there because it completely overlooks the fact that he was actually banned for life for coercing of gamblers to throw the 1919 world series. So like he was, he was literally not just playing for food money. <laughs> um, but there's this kind of, I don't know, there's this, this, I think this is held up as one of the key works that endorses this kind of sepia tinted nostalgia um, yeah. that, that sort of permeates baseball and this notion that it's a great American institution. Um, and I, I think that's absolutely fine. And like you say, it, 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 there's an incredible warmth to it. Um, but is, is there an extent to which you could argue that it was, it was, it was perhaps dangerous or wrong to, to, to think of it like that? To think of it as, as, involving the black Sox specifically because it, this the, the book and the film sort of exonerates them and makes them all out to well, not be heroes but overlooks the fact that what they did at the time wasn't didn't go down too well it wasn't great yeah i think perhaps yeah i think perhaps you're on something i mean my, my, I, I beyond reading um elliot Asanoff's eight men out i don't really know much about the black the black Sox scandal um I think I've read that book twice, but then I think didn't Sabre, didn't they last year do a hundred year like investigation into the Black Sox and they basically like came up with a few criticisms of the book and, and the fact that the, the, you know, field of dreams perhaps makes us view them through rose tinted spe- spectacles. You know, the players weren't actually, the, the, the players on the White Sox in 1918 weren't actually paid that poorly compared to the rest of the league. And, um, I think that the eight men out book also made it seem like the players were secondary and it was mainly the gamblers that, that um, got the players involved, but actually it seems to be the other way around that the players might've been the ones leading on the, on the scandal. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe in a hundred years time, people will look at uh, the Astros cheating scandal and, and do a film about <laughs> it and, and exonerate everyone. I, I'm, I'm not too sure. Well, they'll they'll be I mean, <laughs> With Jose Artuve in the future, <laughs> there will be a similar a similar work of metaphysical magical realism. Yeah, that exonerates them. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I, I I personally don't. I don't think there's anything wrong with a, a good old a bit of nostalgia. That's what it is. But I wonder if it's. Um, I wonder if it at the time it was it was it was a bit more loaded than that from from um, from uh, from Kinsella. Like one of the biggest one of the biggest conflicts in there for me um, was this the difference between urban and rural um in america i'd noticed that i've already mentioned like really really enjoying the description of um of that iowa farmhouse that iowa sort of setting um but 
when he writes about going um, into the city, when he writes about going, I think there's like yeah. some, there's a threat of some street crime or something. I mean, um, oh, is, that, is there, is there, is there a scene that, where that, he's in Chicago? Yeah, yeah. I had, I had real problems with that. Um, yeah. So go on. Does someone want to pick, pick up, pick that up and, and talk about that a little bit? That was that, it, that scene in Chicago for me was by far my least favorite part of the book. Um, and I, it was a bizarre. It was a bizarre scene, and it basically involves like Ray, Ray's paranoia that he's a white man in a non-white part of town, and it goes on for it's only like four pages long, but it's quite bizarre and meaningless and unimportant and not really, I don't think, integral to the plot at all. And for me, it, for me at least, it only really served to infer that Ray was a was a bit racist and prejudiced, and it was such a bizarre scene. I wonder why it was there at all. And I think, and I don't think if it was to be edited or published today, that scene would be included. And, it's, and similarly, actually, there was another, there was another character that I had, I had a slight issue with, the character called Bluestein, who's a minor character, but one that presents with kind of such Jewish stereotypes and almost like anti-Semitic tropes that it was yeah. quite an uncomfortable read for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has got any thoughts on it. Well, I, I just, I just thought it was completely unnecessary. Like you say, I, I think the, the one, the one saving grace for Kinsella in in evaluating his his his, um, his inclusion of that in the text is that there are so many other little little narrative threads that are completely irrelevant as well. So mm. I don't know how much emphasis or significance he placed on this, but yeah, it definitely exposed. It was definitely of its time. Yeah, um, and, and perhaps um, is a is a polite way of saying it. Um, I just thought, yeah, like you say, you wouldn't expect to see something written um, today. I mean, to be honest, you wouldn't have expected to have read it in nineteen in the early nineteen eighties. But but whatever. I mean, it does it does perhaps expose something sort of a bit thinly veiled in terms of his um, in terms of his um, thinking. Let's just put. It yeah, may, 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 maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it was to serve to highlight the difference between the urban and the rural. And, and, and but yeah, for me, I I I read it and I was I got a little bit triggered. <laughs> and I was a little bit like, why? What 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 am I supposed to be like? like? The only the only thing it served to do was like make me not like Ray as much as I had done after reading the first chapter. But yeah, that's just me personally. And what did you think about, um, I was really, in the, in the film adaptation, he drives a, um, a VW camper across America, but in the, um, in the book, it's, a, it's a, like a beat-up Datsun. Um, yeah. did, did, did any of you ascribe any significance to, um, to, uh, to the changing of the car? I had no I idea. I <laughs> <laughs> much thought other than I was... I did actually find a typo in the book where they is it called it a Daston? Called it a Daston at one point, yeah. and I was what? like, my brain automatically it correctly, but I was like, that's not right. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't look at it to say I had to check. I spent about five minutes <laughs> checking every single reference to the Datsun after that. That I and I couldn't believe it. It's so so shocked to find a spelling mistake. It's so rare that you find them. Um, yeah. No, I just wondered. Um, I just wondered. Um, maybe perhaps I'm thinking too much into this, but. Um, I wondered in the film adaptation if they they didn't want it to be a Japanese a Japanese uh, car that he drove because of you know sort of um, 
sensibilities um, and international relations with Japan. But anyway, perhaps again, I was reading too much into that. I, I wondered if maybe, I wondered if maybe they, um, in the film, they double down more on Ray and Annie being like hippies from the sixties mm. in the book that doesn't come across mm. as much. The whole time of them going to California and experiencing the sixties, they make much a much more of a bigger deal of that in the film, and maybe him driving a VW camper kind of is another another remnant of his hippie days. Whereas in the book, it's a crappy Datsun and it doesn't play any real part in the narrative. Did you think? Did you notice as well that in the film that having having already ascribed loads of significance to their experiencing the sixties or having experienced the sixties in inverted commas? that they're sitting around the breakfast table and she asked him if he thinks it's an acid flashback and he's like, I never did acid. And it's like, well, <laughs> you just talked about how, how, much, how much of it as the 60s experience you had and then you feel so open to be able to talk about acid flashbacks at the breakfast table with your six-year-old daughter. <laughs> Which I, I, thought, I thought she actually, the, the actress who played her was, was fantastic. She's, um, I can't remember her name now, but she's, um, she's popped up in loads Walter. of stuff that I've seen recently. Yeah, Karen. She's... Yeah, um, Karen. Um, she played, she's in Transparent, um, and she was in Girls as well. Um, okay. I can't remember her, I can't remember her name, but she's popped up in a couple of things that I've seen recently as a child actor. I had no idea she was a child actor. I thought she was excellent. I thought her, um, the scene where, um, she is pestering, he's having a sort of, um, Ray and his, and Annie having, uh, this is in the film, having a sort of serious financial discussion about how hard up they are. And she keeps coming over and he says, wait, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. And then she persists and he says, what, in a minute? And then she just says, there's, there's, some, there's a man playing baseball on the baseball field outside. That for me was one of the, was one of the I don't know why, it really, really resonated with me. I thought it was really powerful, really moving. Do you think, like, uh, like Annie, the film takes the character from the book and just makes them a real person? Like in the book, the Karen, the daughter is very, a very minor character. Like, and again, not fleshed out. Whereas in the movie, they, they take it to another level. Definitely. Definitely. And also I thought that whilst we're talking about differences between the book and the film, I thought the portrayal of Mark and his brother is a lot warmer in the film that he's much more in the book. He's much more sort of hungry and, um, he seems to really be out for them. Whereas in the book, uh, he's, he seems to have them on his side. And, he's, and obviously he's very capitalistically minded, but he seems to be doing it with a bit more grace and also perhaps a bit more yeah. for their benefit. I just think uh, he, must, he must have just thought they were absolutely bonkers. I thought, that, I thought that played really well in the film, actually. The people that couldn't see, I thought mm. that worked a lot, a lot better. And I, and I thought it was, um, I don't think it was played strongly enough um i don't think he played that card strongly enough in the book i certainly didn't work for me enough the other people no. couldn't see the baseball um i thought perhaps it just worked better on screen because it was more of a visual gag i remember it was sort of striding across the baseball field and interrupting the game but yeah i thought it definitely that definitely worked better in the film i think that is, it is it it goes back to what we were saying like it's it's quite amazing how this book was taken and developed into a movie like it, it really like I like the book, I do enjoy it, but it's the material without the the theatrics and the like the effects of the movie. Like it really, it's just amazing how they took it and made it into a film. I I, I still find that incredible. Yeah. Um, and yet, if you 
the same thing applies with the film that if you if you can't overlook the um the magical elements those those sort of magical realist elements then you would just think that the film was absolutely a load of nonsense really there's a brilliant brilliant review which i've been trying to save i'll try to i'll find an opportunity to shoehorn it in but this fantastic review that i found on amazon of this is off the book uh and it's a one star review i'm sure if you could give a zero star review on amazon this person would have completely gone for it but he says the main character's delusional and i genuinely think he belongs in a mental hospital he sees dead baseball players playing in a baseball field he has he also forces a complete stranger to come to a baseball game with him i hate this book and um, I, just, I just kind of want to temper. It's like I didn't particularly enjoy reading the book, but I didn't oh. think I didn't think it was that bad. Um, Not I that think bad. I, I um, I've I've perhaps enjoyed talking about the book a lot more um, than I enjoyed reading the book. But that. But then again, I said at the beginning. I think part of the part of that is that I've been processing my thoughts about it a bit more. If we weren't doing a podcast on it, I probably would have just left the book alone and, and, and not really processed it in the same mm. way i certainly don't think i would have finished it to be honest um but, but again that perhaps speaks more for um the circumstances in which i was actually reading the book um i think what phil was saying earlier about how it was maybe originally a short story that makes total sense now like because it does get off to such a strong start and even the beginning like when he starts to go out on his road trip it's like oh this is exciting like he's going on this journey and then he hits that awkward bit in Chicago and it's like, can he just get to the game? Like, why do we have to do that awkward bit yeah. in the street? There's lots of little unnecessary bits on his journey, which is, I think the road trip is the bulk of the book in the end. And I think that's why it gets dragged down a bit because the pace slows down as he's on this quite straightforward quest. Yeah, oh, so I, I don't agree. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Phil. I, I just don't think that the road trip element is particularly strong in right in the writing. I don't think it's written particularly well. And I think that, yeah, I think it was just padding. Yeah, but I think that that's again that's a massive part of the film, and I think that that worked really well. And I, and yeah, I thought I th- yeah, I definitely think that that was the film's strength. I kind of want to finish off with a bit of a hypothetical, and I, I'm aware that I didn't um, give you an opportunity to think that much about this. Perhaps that that might be to the benefit of the uh, of, of the quality of your answers but i was thinking really briefly when we were ha- uh, having our little hiatus off air that um that we said that it's not necessarily the film anyway it's not oh, and the fact the story it's not necessarily tied to the game of baseball it could have you know could it could it work as a as a football soccer film or, or another sport do you think that do you think it could have been the same story in in structure and in um uh, in basis with a different film would it transpose to a different film um who wants to go should i go first yeah if you if you want to yeah. yeah i do i do think it would work with a different sport i think i don't know if it would be as successful i think something like football with its long history it could do it but i think what makes it so effective with baseball is i find out all the sports that i follow all the sports going everywhere baseball does such a good job at championing its history like it's by far the best sport i think that really like mythology oh can't even talk mythologize no i'm not even going to try and say that you know what i mean they do a really good job of making their famous players into legends uh, they they really like everybody knows who Babe Ruth is. There are people who've never even like seen a baseball game know who Babe Ruth is. Um, I think that's this the thing that I think being 
British and growing up a football fan, it's something I find such a shame that they don't make more out of the history. Like it was since Sky has come around, it's like football didn't exist before 1992, whereas baseball has over a hundred years of material and players they hold up to such heights that everybody knows who they are. Um, and I think it also goes with uh, writing, like baseball writing is like another level compared to other sports writing. And I think maybe the game just lends itself to being written about better. But I, I do think this being a baseball film and like you said, you could swap out those athletes for football players and, and it might it might still work. But I think because of the like the legacy of like Shooters Joe and the Black Sox scandal, um, I, I just think it, it really works with the baseball players. And I'm actually really surprised that Kinsella wasn't more tempted to put in more established baseball players like Babe Ruth, like Ty Cobb, uh, like Luke Gehrig, why he didn't go into the 40s with DiMaggio and Ted Williams and guys like that. It, it's, it's impressive that it was as popular as it was and was as successful as it was without those names being dropped in at all. What do you think, Phil? You're nodding your head. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I, I was wondering whether or not you could take the the book and say make it about make it about football but include rather than the black socks the must be babes but i don't think i don't think i don't think i I, for some reason i think i don't think it would get i I don't think it would get made (laughs) i don't think i think anybody who came up with that synopsis for a book well i don't know maybe when was the when was the munich that's in like 58 58 yeah I want maybe to see it. Soon. Maybe that's too soon. I, I can just imagine the headlines in the Daily Mail saying like it's an absolute disgrace that somebody's trying to make money off of. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I wonder. I wonder if also that football is maybe this is my own bias, um, but perhaps that f- football is more partisan in its nature than um, mm. than baseball, and 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 perhaps it doesn't. It football doesn't transcend um in you know doesn't 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 permeate popular culture in, in here in the same way that baseball does not historically anyway um i know you mentioned the sky sports thing which is um <laughs> joked about quite a lot um thinking particularly about the mitchell and webb sketch which is absolutely fantastic but um i don't know i struggle i, I don't know i'm thinking of like i wonder if um that's because i was thinking about this when we were talking about nostalgia when we we're thinking about nostalgia because um, I think there isn't that same nostalgia for, um, for for football or for any sport in the UK. It doesn't feel like there is. It's almost as if when I think about baseball um, and the way that it's revered in America by people who love baseball, but also just by just by people in America, it kind of makes me think it's like a hybrid of football's working class industrial roots and cricket's rural English village green origins, you know, it just, this kind of like, this merges these two ideas, these kind of two concepts. And, and so in a way, it, it perhaps couldn't work with, with, with a sport here in the UK, it couldn't work with cricket, it couldn't work with football, just because it doesn't have that same universality. But I don't know, I don't know. I know what you mean. I'd watch a film if, if there was a film where some, some crazy man had decided to build a football field in his back uh, on his farm or something, and uh, Sir Stanley Matthews was to turn up and start playing football again. I'd, I'd 
Yeah, I'd give it a go. I'd be yeah, like, that's, that's plagiarism good. because that's already been done in baseball. But um, no, that's yeah, a I good don't know. Shout. That I, is there's still shout. some nostalgia, perhaps, that I could. Maybe not one team from one specific year, but um, you know, like Gordy's been said, like maybe some heroes, hero, heroes across the ages. That I think. That, I think that's like what you were saying, Steve, about how baseball does kind of it does cross over into popular culture so well. Whereas maybe football in our country, it's like people see it. Like I'm thinking of like my mum again, like she would be like, oh, it's a football film. Where I don't think she thinks of uh, Field of Dreams as a baseball film. It, it kind of, it, it blurs the lines and it's mm-hmm. just a, a nice film about a father and son and uh, the journey he goes on. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's, it's, it owes more than just a sort of tag along question at the end of a podcast. Um, especially cause like there's, I think I'd like, I, I think, I, I think I kind of agree with what I just said, but I think I'd like <laughs> to think about it a little bit more. I definitely think there's more of an internationalism as well to, um, to, to, to football and sort of thinking about football's great. Yours was a really good shout with Stanley Matthews, um, Phil, but I think that there's something about, there's something about baseball and it's heroes um, we've talked a little bit, we talked yeah. about a little bit about when we did the Lincoln Mitchell um, um, episode, you know, talking about how America reveres its, its, its stars from the past, but that's a social construct, isn't it? That's all, that's, a, that's, that's all been, that's all been created by this, this wealth of writing, like you mentioned as well, Ash, you know, through the years, this kind of rich legacy of, um, of, of baseball writing. I'm not sure that we have that in the same way um, over here in the UK with our sports, but perhaps People might think otherwise. Um, all right, I'm going to bring it to a close. Unless anyone's got anything they want to add. No. I, the only thing I, the biggest thing I thought about when I think about the book and I think about the film, I always thought, why Iowa? Why? Why choose Iowa? Like of all the states and all the places, Iowa doesn't have a particularly strong baseball heritage, to my knowledge, anywhere I might be wrong. But I, I always find it funny. I mean, it's the heartland of America. It's, you know, farmland everywhere. You could have chosen, like, Indiana. You could have chosen, like, Nebraska. Like, they have the College World Series in Omaha. So, like, that's at least got a baseball link. So, yeah, I just found it interesting why Iowa. But it does it does work. And he's a Canadian, isn't he? Kinsella, you know, he's not even he's not even from there, so, which I thought was quite surprising. Um, he's very Iowa for someone not from there. But I think it, I think it does come back to that rural, that rural kind of versus um, urban thing. There is def- definitely yeah. something there to that um, to, to his depiction of of, of the land and um, of of this this notion of um, a, a lost time or a bygone era. Uh, it's all kind of weirdly um, connected. Although, as you say, like why Iowa? Because baseball, largely, uh, you know, to the best of my knowledge, kind of um, came from an urban setting. Um, but yeah, there's something incredibly. Um, there's something. It wouldn't have had the great, like the, perhaps the best line in the book, where he says, "You know, is this heaven?" He says, "No, this is Iowa." I just don't know if it would have worked with it with any other place. <laughs> It's Florida. Was that, wasn't it related? Was yeah. it related to what? So your research, Steve, about you were looking into corn, corn production and embargoes between the USSR. But and but but, that, but again, that could but that could have been anywhere in the Midwest. It didn't wouldn't have had to have been specifically Iowa, as Ash said. I wonder whether the Iowa was the corn capital of the world or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'll investigate. I'll get back to you. 
definitely think we should do another. We should do a uh, sort of t- an add-on podcast about the um, about the farming crisis of the nineteen eighties. Yeah, because <laughs> because um, uh, I'm incredibly interested in that. Yeah. I had no idea about that until I started thinking about this podcast. Started doing a little bit of research about it. Um, That's the research. Everybody goes away wiser and um, richer <laughs> in their understanding of uh, of, uh, of of modern American history. Right. <laughs> I think we better leave it there. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, uh, thanks, mate. thanks very much, Ash. Have you um, you've been doing loads of um, really cool stuff for Batflips and Nerds? I don't know if you want to give um, yourself or any of your stuff a bit of a plug. Yeah, I'm writing uh, about the Cleveland Indians this season for Batflips and Nerds, the fine British website for all your baseball needs. Um, yeah, kind of. Now we have baseball back. Finally, I'm trying to do as much writing about the Indians as possible. Um, you can find me on Twitter at AshDay29 um, and all my posts and other baseball-related shenanigans are all on there. Fantastic. Um, Phil, you don't have anything to plug, do you? No, no. I've come off social media for a bit because uh, during lockdown, everybody just seems really angry. <laughs> just give myself a bit of a break. I've, I've primarily come off social media because, um, yeah, similar reasons. But also, I've, I don't know if, if listeners... Keen listeners will have noticed a, a significant um, decrease in the number of posting we've done about the podcast just because it doesn't seem to affect our numbers and listenership either way. So I kind of think, well, I'm not going to bother promoting it that much if, um, if people still listen anyway. So it seems to be doing okay without the push. So anyway, um, thanks very much. We'll be back soon um, to talk more about baseball books which we ostensibly love, um, even if it transpires that we don't love them that much. Um, But read the book and and judge for yourselves, and at the very least, see the film. Um, All right. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.